it, it, I mean, it does take place in New York. You know, it's got Canadia, pa- Canadia, Canadia <laughs> passing for New York, <laughs> but. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil the Cecil. Yes. Uh, okay. I, I don't know. I might have choked there. Who knows? And joining us from the Great White North is the one, the only, he's not really Canadian because he's Serbian, but Peter. Buenos Aires was an inside job. And I say kill them all. <laughs> And tonight's episode, we're going to be looking at Canucksploitation, so we have another Canuck. Brandon Tenold is joining us from, I don't know, are you still the Great White North up there, uh, where you are? Pretty white and cold where I am right now, so uh yeah, I would say so. There are only two seasons in Canada. There's winter and July, right? Uh, no, yeah, pr- pretty not in much. Vancouver. Where, where, well, yeah, you, you live in Vancouver. This, the only season there is what, raining and rain. not raining? It's just rain. Rain yeah. and somewhat not rainy. That's pretty much it. Rain and yeah. then like scalding heat for two days and then back to rain. Yeah, well, I live in Saskatchewan, so the seasons are winter and we need to grow this wheat as fast as possible. <laughs> winter again. Sounds about right. We gotta do the Adam and Eve promo and unfortunately you two can't participate in it cecil you can if you're sick enough you go to adamandeve.com use the promo code drome d-r-o-m-e and you will get 50 percent off of a single item three free dvds a free sex swing and free u.s only shipping not continental u.s but united states so great white north is out just use the promo code drome at adamandeve.com so I wanted to look tonight at the overlooked exploitation genre because there's a lot of movies and TV shows that are Canadian and Canadian at their heart that Americans probably consumed without realizing it. And now there's yeah. the uh, there's the obvious, you know, there's SCTV, everybody knows that's Canadian. Sometimes like for TV you have something like Forever Night which didn't even you know, all the American shows shoot up in Canada. Forever Night didn't even hide it. Nah, it just takes place in Canada. We're not even going to pretend this doesn't. This is a big overlooked genre. What would be the ultimate exploitation movie for you? Boy, it's, I guess it's going to depend on what you consider exploitation and how well known that can be. Uh, one, I think, big example that you were saying that a lot of Americans probably know about and may not even know as Canadian is uh, the movie Heavy Metal. Damn and, it, that was uh, going to be my pick, you son of a bitch. <laughs> well, well, you should have gone first then. Um, yeah, yeah, that's your one. show, Josh. What the f***? That's, yeah, that's a movie that just has so many different, like, animation, sci-fi, nudity, 80s rock music. Like, there's just so much stuff crammed into one movie, all the different stories. And it's... uh among like among like just North American animation, there wasn't a ton of R-rated adult animation being made, other than you know Ralph Bakshi's stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was a big big contribution there. And yeah, yeah or like one- uh, or like anime or manga or whatever, which nobody in North America kind of even knew about at the time, other than like maybe Akira, which I don't even think came out yet. No, yeah, Akira that was, yeah, was eighty eight. Heavy Metal's eighty one. Yeah, totally different exactly. eras. 
Yeah, like I said, other than something like Fritz the Cat or, you know, maybe a couple of other of uh, Ralph Bakshi's stuff, uh, a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't have seen a hardcore R-rated animated movie. And I wonder with that one, because, you know, uh, South Park did that episode as an homage to it. And I wonder how many Americans realize that that movie is Canadian. Well, it's not tech. I mean, it is Canadian. That one's a co-production because that was co-produced by Columbia Pictures. And it's strange because it's based off the American version of the French comic book. So mm, right. that that one's really kind of a diluted Canadian film, if you think about it. I guess I it know, counts. It counts considering Heavy Metal has so many French connections to it, which counts as Canadian. And it's a co-production as well. I'd say, you know what? We're, we're, taking, right it. we're, it, we're yeah. taking Heavy Metal from you. It's ours. That's fair. That's fair. I'm going to go with My Bloody Valentine, just because you said, that, like, an example of an actual Canadian movie. Because that movie is Canadian as sh- if you watch it and you're a Canadian, you know it's Canadian. You can tell by the accents, the little rural town, uh, everybody's drinking. Oh, you know, everybody uh, sounds like this and uh, works a labor job, you know, and it's, it's very, very, very Canadian. And um, it also stands out to me as a slasher in general. I consider it to be one of the more memorable ones, and it's one of the first sort of, uh, I don't know if I'd call it an off-brand film, but like an off Friday the 13th, off Halloween slasher that I'd seen, and I didn't realize upon renting it that it was even a Canadian film. I started to put together, put it together in my head when I started hearing the accents throughout the film. I was like, is this, um, this sounds familiar. I've, I've heard people like this in like my neighborhood and shit. It's a boot and time. I, and, yeah. And I looked it up and it's like, wow, this is an actually like an all Canadian production. That's pretty cool. Cause it's a, it's a good, uh, good movie. Good, good horror film. I have always enjoyed that one a lot because it was, uh, and just going back to it, it's one of my first experiences with, um, like a horror film that I guess wasn't, uh, Americana because obviously I grew up watching, you know, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Friday the 13th before I had started getting into like the Italian stuff and the Japanese stuff and, and finding out, you know, about horror stuff from other districts and just movies in general. So I would, I'd call that to me one of the most memorable Canuck exploitation ones almost entirely because it's, it's, so Canadian, like everything, the way people dress, the way people talk, uh, the little town, everybody's working like a shitty labor job. Like it's very much a uh, rural Canadian. I think any, if anybody wants to experience that sort of thing and they haven't seen my bloody Valentine yet, that'd be a, that'd be a fun one to check out for you. Well, I was going to say uh, either Black Christmas or Videodrome, but I figured that uh, you guys probably would have taken those. Defcon 4, surprise, surprised, nice. a post-apocalyptic film. But, <laughs> With uh, the most amazing poster art ever. Oh, my God. How awesome is that poster? Oh, that is what drew me in. Uh, I, I was like, I must see this movie. There's a really great story behind it. I'm trying to find some people uh, involved to talk about it. I only know parts of this story. Basically, ran out of money about halfway through, which is why, like, there was supposed to be this big base run by these militant, uh, you know, leftover, you know, army guys. And uh, they were, you know, they had reverted to cannibalism. And it was supposed to have all kinds of um, weaponry and missiles. And instead, it was like a dirt farm farm with like a boat (laughs) and the the ending uh, finale takes place in the dark so they (laughs) they just they couldn't afford to do anything uh but still i adore the film i really love it i think the uh the setup is fantastic and um it's really good but you can tell almost like at the point when the money runs out i'll stay away from videodrome and all that i'll go back to animation since brandon jumped heavy metal from me rock and rule 
1989. Yeah. I love that movie. Very Canadian film, even though the version that Cecil and I probably grew up on is not the Canadian version of that. We got the different voice for Omar, the different voice for Mock. We got some of the edited scenes. I don't know. There's just something about it. That movie's always felt non-American. Cecil, mm. I know since you grew up on that too, it, do you know what I mean? How it just, even before we knew it was Canadian, it didn't feel American? Yeah, I guess it was, um, cause I saw it on, uh, channel 29 out here, which was, uh, the Fox affiliate back, uh, you know, in like the nineties, I think. Um, and it was obviously edited, but there was something about it. Maybe it was the animation or just the, the, the way it was presented, but it was just very different from, uh, all the other, you know, animation of the time. And, uh, that it just, I didn't know that it was Canadian, but I knew that it was different i have seen rock and roll nightmare yeah. <laughs> totally different that's movie a, totally that, yeah different that's film. a whole other story <laughs> thor <laughs> coca-cola <laughs> that uh that movie has john michael thor battling the devil but rock and rule has a demon animated with uh cow brains that if i i think was voiced by iggy pop wasn't it isn't that oh god yeah, yeah the demon was iggy pop. iggy pop uh mox singing vo- singing voice was lou reed and angel's singing voice was debbie harry oh that sounds awesome it's about yeah, with mutant it rats in a like very po- after world war three post-apocalyptic future fantastic soundtrack great animation you get actual characters that die in a you know and a film aimed at children that was still pretty ballsy for 83 i I remember uh, when I first saw that one, like, uh, the animation was done by this company called Nelvana, which does a ton of cartoons up here in Canada. Like, they did this show called The Raccoons. Uh, I don't know oh. if you've seen that in the U.S. Got, or not. We, and, yep, we had The Raccoons. And uh, they did, I think they did Care Bears and a whole bunch of cartoons. So I kind of recognize, like, the... The animation style and designs kind of look a little familiar. Uh, I don't think I quite put it together like when I first saw it that it was made by them. Um, I do remember that I first saw it on TV and the previews for it kind of marketed it as like a really hardcore adult movie kind of like heavy metal. So when I actually watched it, I was kind of disappointed just because I thought like, well, they kind of oversold this. It's like it's not like a super cutesy kids movie, but it's not like a really hardcore R-rated animated movie either. Like they kind of I felt like I'd been tricked a little bit. But in the years since, I've come to appreciate it for being like a a kids movie that's that's not afraid to like have a little have some balls like it has the part where it's really quick but like mock the bad guy there's a part where he like snorts some like cocaine during a scene just like <laughs> a two second aside that you you know if you blink you might not notice it but they still put it in there mock also they don't say it or show it they heavily imply he rapes angel at one point too don't they oh man <laughs> so yeah and rock and rule is actually the first fully Canadian animated film ever made. There were others like Heavy Metal before that that were co-productions, but Rock and Roll was the first complete Canadian full animated film. For Canuxploitation, that it technically didn't even exist before 1961. There were Canadian films that came out before then, the the earliest being 1919's Back to God's Country, a silent film. And then Mm. you'd have a Canadian film every year, 
maybe two, three years, but it was 1961's The Mask that kicked off what is known as the Canadian film industry. Have any of you ever seen The Mask, 1961? Uh, no. I don't believe so. And uh, no, I, I have not. What's it about? I've only ever seen like little clips of it, and it's during the um, because the movie was it's a 3D movie, right? Kind and of. the yeah, like it's yeah, I think it's one of those ones where like parts of it are in 3D, but the the 3D portions are like these weird, uh, like surreal, like trip out sequences, and I've seen clips of of those parts like just you know here and there on the internet so it's been one of those movies where i've been kind of curious to get like a a copy of it i just i just haven't done it yet I, I remember seeing this in 3d well the parts that are in 3d in 1983 when elvira broadcasted on her show the first 3d television broadcast ever she showed huh. the mask what it is is you know it, it's just kind of a you know goofy monster movie but every time the guy puts the mask on you're oh, supposed to put and then your... it goes into 3D. Yeah, because... Okay, yes, su- I have you're... seen that. You're supposed to put your 3D glasses on, and then, like Brandon said, it goes to, into these kind of mind fucky trippy sequences for two or three minutes that are in 3D, and then it goes back to 2D. Ah, uh, I totally remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was another one. Um, because there was a time, uh, in the, the, the late eighties, I believe, uh, where, uh, again, 29, the, or 29 or 17, uh, around here, uh, they were running uh, a bunch of movies that were in 3D. Uh, so the mask, they had a week of, of 3D movies. It was the mask. Uh, it was, uh, creature from the black lagoon. And it was like a couple Two. other ones. It was the uh, return of the creature was the 3D one. Was the return of the creature okay yeah. yeah i remember that because it was they they kept prefacing and every time they came back from a commercial they said uh you know wait until he puts the mask on and then that's to let you know to put the glasses on so yeah i i couldn't tell you anything else about the movie but i vividly remember that like every time you he puts the mask on put the glasses on what would you say makes a exploitation movie besides the the whole canadian connection because to me a exploitation movie they feel different like an italian film 2019 after the fall of new york alien contamination zombie those feel like italian movies it, you know only the american 70s could have produced night of the lepus or kingdom of the spiders what sets a exploitation movie like i said leaving out the obvious canadian setting that you just kind of go i don't know this feels canadian to me I don't think a lot of Canadian exploitation films are quite as stylistically distinctive as like, you know, Italian or uh, Japanese or countries like that. And part of that has to do with for a long time, a a lot of recent ones are a little bit better about this, but a lot of Canadian exploitation movies and just Canadian movies in general go out of their way to pretend that they're set in America. Yeah. There's a few cases where this makes sense, but a lot of times I find it unnecessary. Like I just did a video on the original Black Christmas and, you know, that's a movie that was shot uh, around Toronto. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Margot Kidder and a lot of Canadian actors in it. All the police cars you see are American police cars. You know, when they go into the police station, there's a little American flag on John Saxon's desk. Mm. And it's one of those things where if you like if you didn't have those things, like if you just the movie's the same, but they're, you know, they're Canadian police cars or anything like that, it wouldn't affect the rest of the movie at all. And I really don't think because Black Christmas is a movie that's popular in America. I 
like would Americans care if if there was a if there was a maple leaf on John Saxon's desk? Like would they be watching something like Black Christmas and be like, "Wow, this movie's really scary." What Canada? this movie i'm out of here like you know what some americans might maybe like i and maybe in the 70s uh canadian filmmakers thought they had to do that but it's one of those things where yeah if it was just and i'm I'm not saying like you know make a bunch of references to canada that aren't necessary but if it just if that movie happened to be set in toronto and they just didn't try to hide it it wouldn't affect the rest of the movie at all no i wouldn't no. So there is, yeah, a lot of, um, a lot of Canadian movies, yeah, they, they seem to have, even if they do, like, uh, Peter mentioned, um, My Bloody Valentine, where it has a Canadian feel, but there are a, a lot of, uh, Canadian exploitation movies where even if they have the, the feel of, like, the, you know, the accents and the, the more, uh, rural nature, they, they seem, a lot of them seem afraid to go all the way and be like, no, 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 this isn't Canada. This is, uh, this is America. The call is coming from inside the house. In a house in America. That's, don't even, <laughs> don't even think it's Canada. Like, and I think that maybe that's, uh, held, uh, maybe held Canadian exploitation movies back a little bit from having a more, more distinctive style and tone than say like the Italian movies. Cause there were, there were Italian movies where they pretended it was America too, but that was. Yeah. So far off, like it was so obvious that it wasn't America that it didn't really matter. I mean, you do have like Fulci, who's like shot in New York here and there for certain movies, like obviously uh, Zombie and New York Ripper and stuff like that. But there are definitely some where it's like they're trying to pull off the whole Americana thing. Like, uh, like Claudio Fergasso tried to do it for like Troll 2. And it mm-hmm. still feels very, even though they're filming with like American looking lenses and American actors and American cars and it's in like a rural, very green looking, this, this could be the backdrop for like a Ford truck commercial. It still feels foreign for some reason. Well, I would say Cecil, Light Blast. It was shot in America. But that did not feel American, did it? <laughs> no, 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 no. It did not. You had that with some TV series, too. Like, did you guys, uh, obviously we're talking different eras from when I was watching it, but did you guys grow up at all in school watching Degrassi Junior High or later Degrassi High School? I was never really into that show. The only episode I ever watched is when, like, Jane Silent Bob cameoed on it. Because Kevin Smith has a huge boner for Degrassi. That's about it. Uh, I didn't watch it in like school or anything. I mean, I, I found it, uh, a, like long after it had been out. And, um, yeah, I, I kind of was like just passing through, uh, TV stations one day and I stumbled upon this show about, uh, this goth girl. And I was like, oh, it immediately like got my attention. <laughs> you I was like, thinking, what you is? You must be thinking of Spike, the chick that was pregnant in season one. Uh, I, I don't know the name. She had like, black hair and too much eye makeup and i immediately fell in love with her like cecil i didn't discover it until later and mainly like uh every once in a while like my brother and i we'd you know switch to it and watch it for a little bit mainly just to you know marvel at how uh how over dramatic they made everything like every week like somebody was getting pregnant or threatening to commit suicide it seemed like it was uh it seemed like nobody just had like a regular day at school on that show so very much uh, that was and but it was it was just like uh like man there is a lot going on at this school but yeah no i didn't i didn't watch it regularly this uh, major like melodrama that's why i was yeah. into it we didn't know it was foreign because when they when they brought that to america they edited it out every time somebody would be using money every time a police car would be seen anything that was considered too canadian was edited out so they pretended that degrassi took place in america 
for us stupid Yanks. Well, but then you also have something like Night Heat. It was a Canadian cop show that was syndicated in America in the late 80s that has arguably the most Canadian story about one episode dealing with America ever. The show took place in Canada, but they had one episode where the characters had to come to New York. Well, they couldn't afford to shoot in New York, so they literally took garbage and old newspapers, strewed them all about the street to make it look like, you know, America, because America's all filthy, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, what there's happened no, is... Uh, there's no filth in uh, in Canada. You know, Toronto is not a cesspool. You know, East, mm-hmm. east Side, east uh, Vancouver, East Hastings doesn't look like... Like a pit drive-by shootings weekly in a Surrey or anything? No, that never that never happened. Well, uh, okay, the point is they needed to America up the show for garbage, so <laughs> they broke for lunch. And when they came back, the Canadian Street Service had cleaned the streets completely up, <laughs> thinking it was just garbage. That is the most Canadian thing that's ever happened to a TV show ever. Oh my God, where did they film this? I think it was uh, Ontario. Oh, I goodness. think it, it might have been Toronto. Canada passing for every other name of an American city, that's Canada. I remember yeah. the, the, the most glaring of that was Spencer for Hire. Ran for three seasons on ABC in the late 80s. Took place and was shot in Boston. Boston has a very distinct look to it, right? Mm-hmm. So in the 90s, the Lifetime Network wanted to make some new episodes. So they got Robert Urich and Avery Brooks to come back. The Lifetime Network couldn't afford to shoot in Boston. So they shot in Vancouver and called it Boston. Holy that's not a crap, good idea. could you tell? <laughs> you just were like, wow, this isn't Boston anymore. I don't care how much you keep telling me it's Boston. This is not Boston. Vancouver makes a good double for Detroit if you go to like Surrey or something. It makes a good double for Vancouver if you go like downtown. It does not make a good double for Boston at all. What about New York? You know, Jason took Canada. No, that was all New York. That was all. What are you talking about? Come on, New York's got a SkyTrain too. Yeah, this that was all a boat of Manhattan. Jason (laughs) rides a ship. Another one that's my favorite is uh, if you watch the movie Rumble in the Bronx, the Jackie Chan movie. Yeah. That one was filmed in or around Vancouver too, mm-hmm. and there's parts of the background where there's mountains. Yeah, like, <laughs> mountains in the background. I was like, where in the Bronx are there mountains? <laughs> oh my god! Clearly, where Jackie Chan is. But then, okay, something that's distinctly exploitation would be like, like we pointed out with Rock and Rule, how it just feels different. Like, have any of you ever seen Starship Invasions? The Star Wars cash-in from 77? Oh, no, no, I haven't. I I have seen Rocket Robin Hood. No, that's not the one I'm talking about. We should talk about that. Is that the one with Christopher Lee, or am I thinking of a different movie? I actually think Christopher Lee is in this one. I haven't seen it in 20 years, but I think he is in this one. Okay, Christopher Lee is in everything. I know, I I Christopher Lee is dead, and he's still starring in things. (laughs) He just did a toothpaste commercial last week. I think I think I have seen that one, but it was such a long time ago that I I don't remember much except uh, Christopher Lee having like a pretty, if I'm remembering it right, a pretty awesome '70s porn stash. Oh, and a, and a funny hat. He had a weird like <laughs> he was wearing something weird on his head for most of the movie. That sounds like a step up from Captain America Two: Death Too Soon. At least he had well, a cool hat and a cool mustache. <laughs> well, see. The thing with, like, Starship Invasions or even The Shape of Things to Come, these are sci-fi movies and they take place on spaceships, and yet somehow they feel Canadian as soon as you start them up. It's, are it's you just, saying we don't have strange. space in Canada? 
I'm, I'm saying your space looks different than American space, bucko. Our space has snow and igloos. It's not a spaceship. It's a little, it's a little like pod and you have a uh, space reindeer or space wolves or it's, uh, it's carrying named after throat. moose. Moose, space moose, <laughs> with little helmets. When the aliens get shot, they bleed maple syrup. Uh, no, when aliens get shot, the the cool space hero says sorry. <laughs> hey, not not nice, bud. <laughs> oh, sorry there, bud. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Do you think that a movie like Strange Brew is a good representation for Canada? Or do you think that is basically Canadian blackface? And I love Strange Brew, but it's arguably the most stereotypical Canadian movie ever, isn't it? Take off, eh? (laughs) (laughs) I've Everything I've learned about Canada uh, was from Strange (laughs) Brew. (laughs) Back off, hoser. And I have have a really good... I have a really good friend of mine who, uh, she, uh, she lived in Canada and, uh, you know, she eventually, uh, moved to the U.S. And, uh, so I would always just goof on her strange brew quotes and she had no idea what I was talking about because she was like 10 years younger than me. And mm. so I'm like, eh, hey, intergalactic space hoser. And she's like, I don't know this movie. <laughs> It's got a haunted video game. Rick Moranis pisses, I mean, he, he's giant and he pisses out a building fire. Right. And, and their dad is Yosemite Sam. I love that he, what was it? He's like, oh, it's, if, if he wasn't here, that place would have burned to the ground or something. <laughs> he pissed out the fire. <laughs> so, okay, I'll ask the Canadians then. Is Strange Brew an accurate Canadian movie, or is that kind of blackface? Are you fucking kidding me? There's no such thing as Canadian blackface. I mean, have you seen some of our shows? That's like nothing compared to, like, Trailer Park Boys. We completely <laughs> embrace this whole, like, ridiculous Canadian thing, you know, like, uh, up- upping the uh, the stereotype. Most Canadians love uh, SCTV and Strange Brew and, and Trailer Park Boys and things like that. There's... There's no such thing. Uh, the more Canadian it is, the more entertaining it is. And I, I think we might actually get off on making you think that we're a certain way, that we're like even more ridiculously Canadian than we were, than we really are, because then it's even more of a mind f- when you meet a Canadian and we're nothing like how we've, how we've uh, represented ourselves to be. I think that's uh, the fun in it is in that. Yeah. Strange Brew is just a bunch of guys having fun, like reveling in all the stereotypes that Americans think all of canada is like that's that's basically that entire movie and yeah like peter said like we like there's trailer park boys there's the the foobar movies like not Mm. only do we not only do we love that stuff up here but we also i think we kind of know that americans also like seeing that stuff whether they know it's us exaggerating it or not maybe it doesn't matter but i mean but we know like that stuff's popular down there too so yeah we we like uh we like making stuff like that. We like making just goofy shitheads drinking beer and acting <laughs> like idiots. It's not all that uh not all that inaccurate either, too. I mean, Canada's got a huge uh, drinking culture. There's like every every town's got like 10 microbreweries. What are some of the best Canucksploitation movies that you want people to know about? Like Oh, can I go? Can I just talk cuz I want to talk about Vindicator now. Oh, I actually thought you were going <laughs> to I actually thought you were going to talk about Abraxas and the Colmator. Oh, just watch my episode on it. I have not done an episode on Vindicators. So let's go into that. Uh, Vindicator is a brilliant little early to mid-80s film that actually has a plot identical to RoboCop before RoboCop ever came out. And mm-hmm. uh, I actually wanted to talk about this because for the last 
fucking century, Josh. You're going on about Bright, how it's a ripoff of Alienation and all this stuff. It is. Look, look, <laughs> RoboCop came out in 1987. Okay, are we following? It was birthed from a rejected Robo, uh, not RoboCop, a rejected Judge Dredd script for one, and it is in plot. I don't know if it was intentional or not, or if they had just seen Vindicator. It's almost the same fucking movie, just in different budget, with certain different characters here and there. And instead of his mouth being exposed, it's his eyes. It's about a man who ends up used for a like a program to create like a, a super robot cyborg soldier man, and then he becomes uh, self-aware, and he has to get his humanity back, and you know, fight for fight for this or fight for whatever it's it's canadian robocop before robocop came out and it does feel very canadian it has that same sort of canadian vibe not so much as um as my bloody valentine does but you know that what you're watching isn't american even though it's trying really really hard to be um and it, it's one of my favorite not only uh not only like canadian canucks like, i don't really base what i'm watching on uh, whether it's uh, an exploitation film from like another country i don't really give a shit but I would consider it to be one of my favorite, like, so bad that it's good kind of movies for, for, like, various different, uh, novelties. Like, it's fun. It's, it's sort of interesting that it has so many connections to, to Robocop. And it's just, it has this, like, absurd feeling to it when you're, when you're watching it. Um, also it's got, uh, Pam Greer in it for some reason. She pops up as well as, like, a, as, like, a bounty hunter. She's the Clarence Bodiger character, actually, pretty much. She's, like, hired by the big corporation to take out the, uh, you know, the, the renegade cyborg so yeah she's uh she's the clarence bodiger of the film and it's it's weird to to compare jackie brown to kurt wood smith but i just did it check out vindicator if you haven't dead or alive you're coming with me eh (laughs) we're going out for a rip bud i'm uh i'm gonna cheat a little bit and mention a string of movies but uh david cronenberg is somebody who in the last few years he's become like this really respected drama director a lot of people forget that from about 1975 to about 1983 or so he made just weird gory just completely screwed up like still sort of artsy but still kind of had like a drive-in vibe like horror sci-fi movies like there's stuff like the brood and uh shivers rabid all that stuff so remember uh like remember where the guy who made that uh, was it a dangerous method like remember where that guy came from don't forget about all that and that's Mm -hmm. and also like and all those his early stuff that was all that was all made in canada he was sort of canada's like argento or fulci he was sort of our big uh weird um experimental exploitation guy and it was all made with canadian money because he would mm. use he would use the funds given to because i remember there was an article it was actually printed in an american magazine i don't know maybe 81 maybe 80 where it was all about how it was addressed to canadians your money your tax dollars are going to fund this filth and he lit you know all and he just was attacking all of cronenberg's movies that's something that americans don't have i think that's pretty cool i don't know if canadians still do that but that was pretty cool that the canadian government would give you money to go make ex- exploitation movies yeah the money behind those is all sorts of wacky colors not just green <laughs> loonies i have a movie that uh i'm actually i really want to do an episode about it at some point this year it, it's kind of started to get a little bit of traction lately but uh, i haven't heard very many people talk about it at all it is a 1995 canadian horror comedy called blood and donuts it's a about a one yeah it's about not a vampire blood and bits no not <laughs> donuts 
It's about a vampire who, uh, he, you know, he wakes up in like, uh, he went to sleep in like 1969 and he woke up and it's in the nineties now. And, uh, he spends his nights hanging out at this all, uh, like all 24 hour donut shop. And he gets to like meet the people there and finds out that there's like, uh, some criminals and stuff, uh, that's going on. He ends up falling in love with, uh, with one of the waitresses there. And, uh, David Cronenberg has like a cameo as a character and it's, uh, he's, he's the crime boss. It's just, uh, it's, it's very weird. It's, uh, it's, it's almost like a little bit like noir-ish, like Mm. the way that it's shot. And, um, it's just a, a neat little movie that, uh, like kind of came, uh, like went like direct to video as far as I know. And, um, not a lot of people have seen it. It used to be played on, uh, like cable, uh, fairly often. That's how I saw it. It had recently stumbled upon it again. I'm like, oh my God, I remember this movie. And so consequently, I would like to, uh, do some investigating and talk a little bit more about it when I know more sometime in the future. Canadian TV series, The Newsroom. No, this is not to be confused with the Aaron Sorkin American HBO series. It has an episode where David Cronenberg plays himself as a sleazy, egotistical coward. Oh. And I think if if you're a Cronenberg fan at all, you need to find just the Cronenberg episode of the newsroom. Because if he's willing to poke fun at himself like that, he's a pretty good-natured guy. He seems like a cool dude, like, overall. I could definitely see him doing that, and I need to need to check that out for sure. But the, one of the ones I want to focus, I want to bring to the forefront is... City Rocket in, Robin Hood? <laughs> City in Panic, 1987. Oh, City in Panic is a movie that... I, I don't think you could have made in America in the 80s. It, it, I mean, it does take place in New York. You know, it's got Canadia, pa- Canadia, Canadia <laughs> passing for New York, but <laughs> it's so probably Toronto or Vancouver. But here's the thing about it. It's, it's a pretty insensitive movie nowadays. A serial killer is going around New York slashing people. What else slashing is Slashing gay men. Because they spread AIDS because the killer, you know, plot twist, the killer's daughter died of AIDS from a blood transfusion, so she blames gays for it, so she's killing gay people to stop the spread of AIDS. Wait, the daughter is or her his, her father is doing it? The, 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 her mother. It's actually a female killer. I don't know if wow. you could have made that movie in America. That kind of had to be a Canadian film when you're killing gay people in 87 at the height of the AIDS scare. Wait, when wait, AIDS how would that is be the a... plot device? How would that be a appropriately Canadian movie though? We're a lot more liberal than you guys are. That's even more surprising that it's a Canadian movie. I would expect that mm-hmm. to be more of an American film. I don't think you there's no way an American film would have found distribution with that plot. I don't think you'd be able to find distribution with that now. I, like there's I no have, way you could make that now. Oh god no. I wouldn't have expected American cuz even like even for 1980s America that's pretty con- I would have guessed like maybe someplace in Europe. Yeah, would have had to do something like that. Sure, some shit. <laughs> yeah, someplace that just does not care. Surprising that uh, Canadian company or you know Canadian crew made that movie like that. I just looked it up. Ontario. Oh wow. Ontario for New York. Is the movie like actually homophobic though, or is it just the killer has that mindset in the movie? You know, because you got a movie like uh, like Visiting Hours with uh, Michael Ironside where his character is misogynistic, but it's not like the movie itself is toting that uh, mindset it's not endorsing his character yeah yeah right well okay l- let's talk a little bit about canadian franchises 
like the prom night movies. They're pretty Canadian or the meatball movies. Oh yeah. Pretty Canadian. Why do you think certain franchises are Canadian, but to us, like Cecil and I, they don't feel Canadian. Like the prom night movies, those don't feel Canadian. They, I, I know they're meant to take place in America or at least, you know, the illusion of America. Why do you think the, the, like the prom night movies or the meatballs movies don't feel Canadian, but absolutely are? I don't know. Uh, meatballs feels Canadian to me. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know, uh, the meatballs, uh, the, the, now the only one that didn't feel Canadian was Happy Campers, which was, uh, four. number four, which was the one that was originally filmed as Happy Campers. And then the studio made it meatballs four to try uh-huh. to, uh, you know, pull the old, uh, you know, get more people to watch it by tagging it onto a franchise. So, uh, which also explains Corey Feldman dancing like Michael Jackson, uh, for some reason, as he always does. Prom night kind of you know i kind of see it not feeling canadian but meatballs all of them uh have always felt uh varying degrees of canada for me like with prom night that was uh like more of a concerted effort to get in on the slasher movie boom of the early 80s and it was one of the more successful ones so maybe that explains why it doesn't it's it's trying so hard to be like all these american slasher movies that were around at the time so maybe that has something to do with it i haven't seen the meatballs movies in a long long time but aren't they weren't they sort of like uh an attempt to be kind of like uh like an animal house like uh yeah you know yeah. college kids college kids uh being naughty type of movie so again trying to i guess maybe trying to trick americans into thinking like oh this is going to be like this other movie you like maybe so maybe that has something to do with it i'm not so sure about that for the meatballs movies because they're, they're until you get to the fourth one they're very pg or even light pg-13 that they didn't play up the whole porkies style angle okay. until the one that's not really a meatballs movie well prom night um i can see that being mistaken for american because as brandon said definitely a capitalization on the uh you know capitalizing on the whole american uh slasher movie boom and of course you've got jamie lee curtis who you're you're automatically going to think oh well it's you know it's another american horror movie it's you know the chick from halloween doing another movie it's a scream queen flick um so i can see it being uh very easily mistaken that way it also depends on where in canada you're filming because accents vary i mean me personally i don't really think i sound either canadian or american i think i just talk um you you could easily mistake me for an american guy or a canadian guy because in vancouver we we have the same sort of accent as people from like say seattle or california because it's the similar coastline uh similar time zone all that stuff whereas like if you say you filmed in uh, Toronto gonna have people with a lot thicker accents. I mean, but then you go across the bridge to Detroit, everybody sounds the same. Everybody has that kind of that, that weird. Uh, oh, you know that uh, that sort of weird. A almost, yeah, that sort of thing hey, to it. Yeah, from Saskatchewan, and you may not really tell it from me, but if you've ever seen, like, again, I mentioned the the movie uh, Fubar earlier. Yeah, and a lot of people from Saskatchewan and Alberta oh, have God, that yeah. kind of like, oh yeah, bud. Like, yeah, they all sound like. <laughs> I guess I guess the best term would be like can, the Canadian version of like a redneck accent. Yes, there's exactly, a ton that's exactly of people it. here that sound like that. The uh, you know the America's got Boss Hog and we got Diener. Yeah, exactly. 
So it's, I think it's harder to tell when, when you've got the accents. Cause with my bloody Valentine, God, it's, it's painfully obvious that it's Canadian because of where they're filming it. Whereas something like prom night can seem a little more American depending on what actors they're using, who the lead is, you know, getting Jamie Lee Curtis is going to make you think that it's American. Meatballs, been a while since I've seen them, but I think it's kind of easy to not really care where they're from because these are your typical college teens partying kind of movies. I mean, you, you can have, uh, as long as people are, are speaking English and they don't have British or like Australian accents or something, you can very easily pass it off as like an American party movie kind of thing. So it'd be pretty easy to forget that Meatballs is uh, Canadian. And it's obviously just meant to be another, another Porky's kind of thing, another, uh, you know, National Lampoon Animal House sort of movie. So it, it's, with with films like that, it it doesn't really matter. It just needs to be a film uh, about young people doing crazy stuff and drinking and partying and stuff, and, that, and that's the the audience they're they're going for. They're not really going to care whether it's Canadian or American, considering Canadians and Americans probably drink about the same amount. What about when the movie is rooted in Americana? I think this is different than just pretending it's in America. When you have a movie, and I know Cecil loves this movie, like Red Blooded American Girl. Yes. Or time or or time runner with Mark Hamill. Those movies try I mean, they probably spent half their budget to pretend they're not Canadian. <laughs> almost to almost in an overcompensation sort of way, don't they? I mean, Red Blooded American Girl has American in the freaking title. <laughs> but you look at it and you go, Yeah, that's Ontario. Yeah, they, they went above and beyond trying to make it like, Yeah, this is it's an all American and they you know, they have the I do love the cover for that with the American flag and uh Heather Thomas. It's uh it is very corny and uh they do try to do the whole American thing and it's just it's it's no it's not American it's Canada <laughs> well you know like, like like I said time runner the whole point is a small American farm is being invaded by aliens and then Mark Hamill's from the future and it gets confusing when he w- witnesses his own birth and all this but it's all steeped in Americana isn't it mm. yeah and it's actually pretty I I always dug it you know I always liked time runner but then I look at a movie like like National Lampoon senior trip the movie's literally about the election process, Congress, and going to Washington D.C. So of course it was shot in Ontario. Is that the one with uh, with Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall? And am I thinking of the right one there? Max Headroom is the principal. Yeah, like I said, it, I mean, obviously with something like called a Red Blooded American Girl, it's <laughs> you know, it makes sense why you'd want to convince people it was American. But yeah, there's so many other. Canadian movies like Black Christmas where they you know go out of the way to to make it convince you it's in America when they don't have to but yeah I I think it's a very strange choice to make yeah put the word American in your title and then it's a Canadian movie and and where'd you say it was shot in in Ontario or Ontario and where is it set is it supposed to be like New York or something or a small town a while was it LA Cecil I believe I'm pretty sure it was LA Good Another lord. It was choice. <laughs> a, a large, a large portion of it took place indoors. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I'd imagine yeah. so. Otherwise, you'd have to make it take place in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to double <laughs> Ontario for up. LA, you nuts. Isn't it, is it any different than Halloween? You know, those palm trees that Illinois is famous for? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. The only Halloween sequel that you can buy taking place in Illinois, I think it was like four, because they really did shoot it in Illinois. <laughs> It's it's because um, a, a lot of studios and a lot of filmmakers uh, believe that if if your movie is American, it will sell. It's a big market for movies like that. You know, internationally, uh, Italians and 
and people like that, uh, and Eastern Europe in general love American cinema, American movies. So if you, if they, they figure if you market it that way, people are going to see it. I mean, you even have American, well, technically American companies. Canon was marketed as an American company, even though it was run by, you know, Golem and Globus, who were very much not Americans. Um, Israeli. Also, Israeli people, yeah, put out movies like uh, American Cyborg Steel Warrior, and it's like you know your Invasion USA, (laughs) Invasion USA, which is so weird because they're already technically an American company, but they were still very much promoting their movies like uh, the way an an outside company would, like uh, you know a foreign market film would, an Italian market film, an Israeli market film would. So you've had like American USA, like in in the title with with some sort of steel or warrior or, or ninja you know american ninja american cyborg american penis you know whatever it is something would show up (laughs) something would be american uh american giraffe in la goes for a walk you know some shit like that um and i think it's just because american things um are perceived to sell and sell better than something else would so that's where a title like red-blooded american girl would uh would come from because they really wanted it to they probably knew the movie was she but they wanted it to do well and be like well you know it's american people will see it because she's a red-blooded american girl and that's that's what people like people also like american steel cyborg warriors as well actually red-blooded american girl is a pretty good flick and it's a vampire movie oh i I've, I've never I've never seen it. I'm just going off of what the, the title was like. I, I pictured some like all Italian or all uh, Israeli production company putting it together. I can understand like maybe uh, people being afraid of a movie not selling in the United States or overseas if it was called like the the socialized healthcare presents the all Canuck Moosehead Beaver Hour or something. But I, mean, I would buy just, that if it's just if it just sounds like a horror movie. There happens to be like a couple of Canadian flags in the background here and there. I yeah, I can't imagine that being a gigantic turnoff for no. most people. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It shouldn't be. But- but for some people, I don't know, you got some like real gung-ho dickheads out there, so you never really know. Rocket Robin Hood? No, shut up. How the hell are you not talking about this? Have you even seen Rocket Robin Hood? The, no. The, the episodes of the 60s Spider-Man that were taken from Rocket Robin Hood? We could talk oh, about those. Lord, if you want to talk like Josh, if you want to talk exploitation, you, you need to have some... Uh, semblance of of what Rocket Robin Hood was. I mean, this was really trash Canadian TV. Well, I wanted to talk about American-Canadian co-productions, but go ahead. You've seen the old 60s uh, Spider-Man cartoon, right? The Ralph Bakshi one. Obviously, yeah, the one where they would reuse lots of different shots and the, the same weird, funky 70s music. It was it's that because but he can do anything a spider can. Dial back the quality by about minus 60, and you've got Rocket Robin Hood. Little John's eye would just disappear for a couple seconds every episode. And it was, it's science fiction Robin Hood with zero budget. This was a Canadian off-brand TV and it was, uh, it was fantastic. I think everybody should, uh, YouTube that. And, check and, it out and, and several episodes of the 60 Spider-Man would take like backgrounds or bad yes. guys or, and oh. I think in one case it was an God, entire yeah. episode. They just took Robin Hood out and put Spider-Man in and that was yes. the only difference. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. That's- like we, our our cartoons had no budget. It was worse than like the the Marvel like Variety Hour like like Thor and Captain America throws his mighty shield. And if people thought that was shitty, you had you had no idea what the kids in uh, 60s Canada were going through. 
By the way, since you brought up Captain America, I just want to point out, in the in Marvel Comics, we had the X-Men, you had Alpha Flight, we had Captain America, you had Major Maple Leaf. Hey, f*** you, Wolverine's Canadian. And, well, uh-huh. and in Alpha Flight, we had a character named Puck. Huh? And Wolverine was <laughs> in Alpha Flight at some point. Techni- I forgot technically, about no, Puck. They, didn't form Al- they didn't form Alpha Flight till after he defected to the X-Men. He was in the program that was before Alpha Flight, because yes, I'm a comic book nerd. Well, yes, I'm just saying, he was in both, which means both teams had the best character, goddammit. Sasquatch? Because <laughs> that's another so. character on Alpha Flight. There you go. Which is not the same as Wendigo. Yeah. <laughs> I always remember the Wendigo thing from the X-Men arcade game from the early 90s, how it would, when you, when you would fight him, he'd go, Wendigo! <laughs> That's still not as awesome as, welcome to die! <laughs> That's the, like, very beginning of the game too, I think. That's, that's but, a great way to get your, get your game started out. Fantastic. But you also had some American Canadian co-productions that I think a lot of people don't realize are partly Canadian movies, like, the Chuck Norris movie, The Hitman, was no. co-produced in Canada. Oh, you can fl- totally tell, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. it. It feels like an episode of the Highlander TV show. It was directed by his brother, Aaron Norris, too. Really? Yeah. I thought there was only one Chuck Norris. It turns out there are two. Or uh Overdrawn at the Memory Bank. That's Canadian. I saw that on PBS in America, but that's that's a co-Canadian movie. Never seen that one. I've only Never seen, seen the, uh, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode of it. Flesh Gordon Meets the Cosmic Cheerleaders was a Canadian co-production. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Of course it is. I I know Cecil loves Brain Scan, despite the fact that it has a cop-out ending that pisses on the entire movie. That was a Canadian co-production. I uh, Brain Scan (laughs) is a movie that uh, it it does, but I'm more annoyed with the forced insertion of uh, Trickster. But I mean, but I, I think that the end, it's one of those times where the it wasn't real, like, works you know because you didn't want it to be like you were actually rooting for edward furlong to be innocent i think and his character was strong enough to where you wanted him to to be the good guy by the end of it and the beauty of it is and this is you know if anybody hasn't seen it yet uh tune out massive spoiler but Mm. like the whole the whole movie you know he's obsessed with the girl and he's in you know he's in love with her and then when he's playing the game like the two of them become like partners and everything and then finally at the end of the movie he goes to the party for for real and you think that he's gonna get with the girl and she doesn't want anything to do with him and it's like oh <laughs> like now he's he's just back to being regular old you know edward furlong and life sucks again but uh so i i kind of really enjoyed that i thought that that you know if anything that was the the you know if he had went and got with the girl then it would have been like ah you know like this is like but no it threw that little punch in there that it's like nope no he's still a nerd that likes horror movies and i i really enjoyed that i think that the yeah. uh the way the ending worked, it definitely worked for that movie. Yeah, you got Last good, uh... American Virgin, bitch. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> well, okay, Brandon, you're a heavy metal guy. Black Roses is a co-Canadian film. And that, that is another one with uh, John Michael Thor, isn't it? Is Thor in that one? I know he's in Rock and Roll like Nightmare. And, yeah, uh, I, it does sound like it would be, but I don't think he's in Black Roses. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm yeah, I don't 88? think John Michael Thor is in that one. No. People I don't believe... who like this also liked Rock and Roll Nightmare, so let's see. I'm just saying, yeah, maybe I'm mixing up. Maybe they're all getting kind of mixed up in my brain here in a zombie nightmare and all those. 
<laughs> those movies. At least in Rock and Roll Nightmare, he got lines of dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Although, although, can we just talk for a minute of how amazing the cover of Black Roses is, though? Oh yeah, that's the pretty VHS awesome. was raised too. Remember? Season yeah, one? it was. Yeah, it was embossed. That was beautiful. Is that, that like was... a bunch of um, a bunch of demony looking things are like coming around to do like the shape of somebody's face, and then there's like a guitar in the middle. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Ah, that's pretty sweet. And the, and the guitar is partially on fire. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's like, like the eighties like, uh, or something. Yeah, it's the eighties. It's metal. John yeah. Fasano. I mean, God, you know, he. Uh, I think this might have been the only one he did that didn't have uh, John Micklethor. Mm. Okay, it had somebody named John Martin instead as Matthew <laughs> Morehouse. I, I do remember one of the Sopranos as the abusive father in that though. Oh yeah, I do. I do seem to remember that one of the future Sopranos. You, you also have like uh, Oliver Stone's first movie, Seizure, co-Canadian. I I would like to actually see this movie sometime properly. Have any of you ever tried to watch Welcome to Blood City with Jack Palance? Uh, no, I have no idea what that movie is. I I have a copy of that, but I haven't watched it yet. It's from was it from the it's from the seventies, right? Yeah, or maybe early eighties. It's unwatchable and not for the movie. There are mm. no known prints that are not super zoomed in. For oh, some reason, oh. they zoomed the camera way in on the print when they made the VHSs. Everybody's heads are cut off, the bottom of the frame. It, it, it it's like if you're trying to watch a full frame movie that they full framed one extra time. Oh. The movie is borderline unwatchable nobody has been able to find a goddamn print that does not look like this it's an interesting movie from what i could extrapolate from the few images i could see of it or uh there's the 2015 2016 2017 movie zoom which is a canadian brazilian co-production there's a weird one for you it was actually made in 2015 uh... didn't come out till 2016 didn't come out into america until 2017 Brazilian Canadian, that's, uh, where you get waxed, but you're in the dead of winter anyway, so it doesn't really matter. You get waxed with syrup. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Brad Jones fans will love to catch a Yeti with meatloaf and that creepy looking bastard abomination in that movie. That's a Canadian <laughs> co-production. What a surprise. Oof. Oh, and that's another one where it's supposed to be in New York, but it, at, there's one point where they're in the subway, and I think it's even like a green screen shot, and there's Canadian flags and like flags of the different provinces in the, the background they green screened in when they're in the <laughs> New York subway. Oh, God. Like, God, that movie is just incompetent on every single <laughs> level. <laughs> Class in 1984. That's a Canadian co-production. Mm, that's a great movie. Or uh, I know Cecil loves Death Ship with all the the Nazi dentistry. Oh <laughs> yeah, that one is just uh, is just crazy. It's it's really like it, it's it's a just a very odd movie and uh, like you feel like you need a tetanus shot after watching it i mean scanners three is it's ridiculous and yes cecil it's horribly ridiculous was that one scanner cop or was that the no four was that, that was four cop. yeah Sc- scanners three is the one where where she actually is able to make a football player's head explode by watching him on tv <laughs> <laughs> scanners, that happens in the movie, right? Scanner yeah. 3 is very silly, but oh, I think what God. makes it is how she's not overacting. She's just doing it really like 19 million degrees of over the top, which <laughs> makes it like even better. Like, uh, I kind of like, I don't know. I, I found her performance charming because she was really going for it. You know, it's, uh, I, I like, I like all the, I mean, of course, the first one is absolutely by far the best, but, mm-hmm. um, and Scanner Cop. 
Cop is the better, is the best of the sequels. But Scanner I enjoy, Cop fantastic. I enjoy all of them. You know, Scanner, yeah, Scanner Cop, Cop uh, all the Scanner's better. movies are uh, Canadian productions, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you guys ever see when Canada tried to get into the direct-to-video action market with like 1989 Snake Eater? Oh, yes. Fuck, who was in, who was that guy? That was, uh, uh, Lorenzo Lamas, right? Yep, yeah, th- that was yes. Lorenzo Lamas and Brandon. You've seen Snake Eater, right? No, and I'm a little ashamed now that you're describing it like a, it's a Canadian action movie, movie with Lorenzo it's, Lamas. It's not Lorenzo Lamas's best movie. Um, far okay. from it, but it's the, still the worth line. watching. The tagline on the back of the VHS box says, as dirty as Dirty Harry, as dangerous as Deliverance, to him, America is just another jungle. Oh, Christ, is somebody trying <laughs> to rape him? What do you mean it's dangerous? <laughs> it's like, yeah, deliver- That's a weird, when you're naming like action movie stuff putting deliverance in there is a weird choice <laughs> as, as dirty he's as dirty harry and it's dangerous like. deliverance so he'll rape you and he'll do it in a corrupt way while you were mentioning uh co-productions another one i want to mention there's this movie called yeti giant of the 20th century it's an italian movie but they filmed it in toronto like it's a giant monster like is that the 70s one 70s one but it was filmed in toronto and the monster actually attacks toronto like toronto isn't standing in for new york or anything like that so it's a 70s monster movie where they actually made a conscious effort to set it in Canada and, ha- and have the monster attack Toronto, and I can't for the life of me think of another, like, giant monster movie where the monster specifically attacks a Canadian city. I saw that on Elvira's show back in the 80s. Canada doesn't do the whole giant monster thing very often. No, I mean, if you, if you really want to be technical, Jason took Vancouver. He did not take Manhattan. He walked through Times Square for a minute. That's that's the extent of it. Yep. But he did well, throw a he did throw a Canadian line cook into a mirror. He did it. He did so it real something? he did it real good. He did it real good. He did it in Canada. So Jason attacked but, Canada. But sometimes the Canadians also got the sequels to American movies. Extra two. <laughs> Witchboard three. Food of the gods two. Because extra was British. But like extra I know was British. That was a British so it's weird one. That's that extra the... two is Canadian. I've never seen Extra 2. I kind of don't want to because I feel like it wouldn't be able to top the weirdness of the first one. Jan Michael Vincent in a shot in Vancouver, and it was not shot as Extra 2. Now, it which... Was... Oh, wait, I have seen Extra 2. Holy shit. Um, but it was under a different title. Oh, my God, that movie's amazing. He's, like, drunk throughout the whole fucking thing, Jan of Michael course. Vincent. Well, he was drunk through the entirety of the 80s. Yeah, he was. Oh, my God, that was, like, a bad um alien... Aliens knockoff that was barely like extra at all oh f- because me. it wasn't I was made like, as an extra movie i was brought to um like like tears of laughter with that movie because every time he's on camera you can tell the look on his face is like oh i got a bottle of bourbon i've got waiting in my trailer <laughs> like just wants to get back to drinking you can see it he's so faced in that film alienators like that too yeah oh fucking christ yes he was you can tell he's just like looking off camera, like oh, I want to get back to my booze. Like, he's he's always, so he's always, he's always leaning on something. Yes, he can't Holy stand up. Yeah. <laughs> well, have you guys, have you guys ever seen the Canadian anti-porn documentary from 1981 called "Not a Love Story"? No, the not the not alone story, huh? You shouldn't be, uh, uh, shouldn't be touching yourself down there. You know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta save, you gotta save yourself for, for, uh, Eskimo Jesus. Yeah, don't put that in there, bud. <laughs> You'll freeze it off, eh? <laughs> but it, uh, it, it's, it's a, it's made by feminists 
to show how evil porn is and how, you know, pornography is subjugating women and all this. And they Uh used actual hardcore scenes in the documentary. Uh And the irony is, since a lot of that stuff was illegal in a lot of provinces, the documentary preaching about the evils of pornography was banned in Canada as pornography. Because people were probably (laughs) jerking it to it. Well, because and then there's a couple other ones I want to showcase, like Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. That movie is uh, is outstanding. It's it's just such a roller coaster, for lack of a better term. There's so much going on. Like the first ten minutes, it's got enough action for like ten movies. It's just nuts. I've always really enjoyed it. Strangely, when I was watching Space Hunter maybe a year ago, now it has no connection other than Ivan Reitman, but it feels like a live action heavy metal spinoff. It feels so much like it, it, if it were animated, it would be in 1981's Heavy Metal. And maybe that's the Ivan Reitman connection or the fact that, you know, the score is similar and all that. I don't know. Space Hunter to me is an unofficial heavy metal movie. God, the, the villain is Overdog. <laughs> Michael Ironside, too. Michael Ironside. And he has, he has no bottom. It very much is, uh, it feels like a, like a heavy metal live action. They should have, uh, they should have animated it and made that the sequel instead of Fact 2. Ooh. <laughs> or, or 2000 or whatever you want to call it. Well, that was, we yeah, still had Iron, Michael Ironside though. With, with Julie Strain. Yeah. Firebird 2015 AD. Yep. It, uh, it's got Doug McClure and Darren McGavin in the same movie. Can't remember his name, but the guy who was in the, uh, Pusher episode of X-Files as a fresh-faced, like, young kid in the movie, which really weirded me out when I first watched it. <laughs> you know, not to just go to your show. Cecil, have you ever seen Blue Monkey? Blue Monkey. Um, the the, the, the giant mutant creature lo- lo- lost in a hospital that's totally in America, eh? Oh, oh, but it wasn't, yeah, it was, uh, it was Blue Monkey, it wasn't a monkey, and it wasn't, it, yeah, I, I believe I saw that like once. It was, it was something, what was it, 1990 something? 87, 1986. Oh, really? 86, okay. I, I'm, I, at the, at the end, they I've kill it with a laser. It. I I believe I've seen it. Yeah, a laser made for surgery is what kills the uh, giant bulletproof bug monster. <laughs> so good thing they used it on the monster before they used it for uh, LASIK or whatever they made it for. <laughs> yeah, really. Hey, we have to use this on your head. <laughs> head blows up. See, that's what happens with socialized medicine. That's why we don't get it over here. Because mm-hmm. we're real Merkins. You know, Canadians, the changeling. All I remember about that is George C. Scott was almost as scary as the ghost was in that. It was almost as scary as how unfunny your healthcare joke was. Ah. And that movie made me afraid of wheelchairs. (laughs) Pussy. You know, I'm not denying it. Just to sum it up, what does Canadian filmmaking mean to you and what does it mean to exploitation filmmaking in general? Because we have, you know, everybody knows Italian exploitation, everybody knows sex exploitation. Should they know Canuck exploitation? Well, yeah, I just think because the, the stereotype for a lot of Canadian movies is similar to like French films. They think it's just kind of hoity-toity art films or a lot of uh, really boring, sedate dramas. A lot of people don't know that, you know, starting with that mask movie you mentioned, uh, like at least at least going up through like the 80s and 90s, Canada has like a pretty big library of exploitation movies, horror movies, sci-fi movies, uh, a lot of like weird experimental but still sleazy movies. So we're kind of uh like when it comes to when people think of non-American exploitation movies, there's always the big go-tos like, you know, Italy or stuff like that. But Canada's got a place in there, too. And uh mm-hmm. 
I think, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people, I, and again, this probably comes down to the whole thing where we're so desperate to make people think that uh, a lot of our movies are American. Maybe that's why more people around the world aren't aware of it. But yeah, I think, I think uh, more people should know about Canada's place in the uh, exploitation history. If nothing else, you get to see Jack Palance get hit on the head with fake, uh, what was it, a cinder block in shape of things to come? Yeah, and it, and you can tell that, that he was not expecting that to happen. <laughs> the look on his face is priceless. I Apparently the budget for that was like $3 million, which was not giant, but that was a decent budget for the late 70s. So I'm really hoping Jack Palance got a good paycheck for that movie. We we make movies that are just as weird as uh, any other place in the world. We've, we've got stuff that isn't just, as Brandon said, the weird art housey stuff. And I think there are a lot of Canadians that want you to believe that that's all we do. You know, we, you've got a lot of people out there that are like, oh, you know, horror movies aren't real movies or, you know, exploitation is, is too sexist or, or whatever. But no, we've, we've made some great staples in, uh, of those subgenres. You know, we've got David Cronenberg to rep. We've got his like late, uh, mid to late seventies and early eighties movies. You know, we've got other movies even recently coming out like Wolf Cop. We're, we're, uh, we're not quite as uh, bold as, say, the Italian or the Japanese stuff, but I'd say Canadian exploitation is pretty much – no, it's it's on par with the American stuff. America and Canada both make the, the same f***ed up, weird, serial killer kind of stuff. They were both doing it in the 80s, and they still do it now. Uh, so I'd say we at least belong in the same the same place as I, the United States does. And you know what? If if Australia gets to have Ozploitation, we get our Canucksploitation. God damn it. Uh, it made me question whether or not uh, there was beer on the sun. There is. Has this been answered? Uh, no, yeah, there is. The, the question is still uh, – it's still out. Hey, I watched the McKinsey brothers show me how to make beer nog on an episode of SCTV, okay? Ew. They did. What did they just put an egg in it and like? <laughs> they actually poured out all the eggnog and just poured the beer into the eggnog container. <laughs> yeah, bud. That's awesome. Uh, and then they went and cooked back bacon. So to me, exploitation it's an overlooked genre. It sometimes you can tell what it is. Sometimes these, like I said, some of these movies, they just feel Canadian. Even if you don't know they're Canadian, they just don't feel American. Exploitation is an overlooked genre. So I hope some people go and check out some of these movies that maybe they didn't know were Canadian. Maybe they'll check them out more now that they do. Maybe they'll go, damn it, John Saxon needed that American flag or it wouldn't have worked. Well, I want to know who's the so cop who's been running his mouth. <laughs> are, uh, are, are you, uh, are you her boyfriend? Yeah, I've been taking her out. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, this is, uh, totally, was this Ohio? Is that where we are right now? Where, where can people find Brandon? He's in Canada, but where can they contact him? Uh, just go to YouTube, just type in Brandon Tenold. I'm pretty sure I'm the only guy with that name on there. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, uh, at Brandon Tenold and on Facebook at official Brandon Tenold. And Peter's in Canada as well, but he's a cinematic. Where can people find him? You can find me on Canadian Twitter, uh, which is the same. Luckily, it's the same URL for the American one, which is the... It's just more polite. It's just a little more... No, not really. If you've seen my Twitter, it's everything. It's the furthest fucking thing from polite. At Cinematica, that's the Twitter one. Um, YouTube, the Cinemasochist. Facebook, the Cinemasochist. And uh, 1201beyond.com with some shirts. Cecil, where can people find you going... 
There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, you can find me in uh, watching uh, episodes of Amerida, goodbadflix.com, as well as Good Bad Flicks on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. And I'm also on uh, 1201beyond.com. Speaking of 1201beyond.com, that's my website where you can go. You can also contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Try to look up some Canadian movies and just realize when they're stabbing you, no, they weren't polite. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
flicker, 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 flam, pow. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.